0: It's Sunday morning, it's raining outside, and I am in Philadelphia for the latest Ring of Honour training camp, which has been an especially nice respite after the last week, which has been one of the most stressful in recent memory. Barely even a thought about fucking or making babies. On the podcast this week, polyamory consultant Ryan Rye Witherspoon. We talk about fluid bonding, dating, multiple partners and a gangbang in Vegas on New Year's Eve. It's my unconventional life. I went to the woods because I wanted to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life, and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. My name is Nigel McGuinness, and this is my unconventional life. It's a podcast, it's a journal, and in a way, it's kind of a personal ad. But most of all, it's about navigating the treacherous waters of love, sex, and relationships in 2016. Sponsored by, you guessed it, no one right now. Every week, I detail my own journey and discuss my own untraditional views and aspirations in that world. Whatever the topic, whoever the guest, it all comes back to one question. How do we best find and express love in
1: 2016?
0: Really hasn't been a good week or so with the move into my new place. My throat is hurting again from the stress, so I really have to be careful not to get sick again. I always say that and then when things go haywire, I let it affect me the exact same way again. I just don't handle stress well. The only way for me to handle it is to make strong life choices to avoid it, I think. It's a lesson I've learnt this week that I need to be sure not to forget. This is the second weekend I've been away in a row now, working 12 hour days at my editing gig too, there's almost no time for anything else. But I have been hanging out with an old friend who was gracious enough to let me crash at their place while I was waiting to move in fully to my new place, which has truly been a lifesaver. And I even got to tape an interview with them for a future episode of this. We started watching the Hulu show Casual, Last Thing Every Night, which is a lot of fun. if you haven't seen it, it's a great show with some quite gratuitous sex scenes. But I noticed they inspired nothing in me no jealousy that I wasn't having any sex no real desire to just a mild apathy I think honestly my libido's shot I mean I've had low testosterone in the past because of concussions and stress basically need to get my levels checked again I would take testosterone now but it will shut down my natural production what's left of it and with it my sperm production They say it will come back, but who knows? Who knows? Maybe it'll help preserve some in the meantime. I just don't know. I've got to be honest, I'm still not sure when or if I'll ever have a baby. God, what a rotten podcast this is going to be if I don't start making some moves soon to either have a kid or at least have some sex. Life is passing me by. There's no doubt about it. A friend messaged me recently asking if my old rival in wrestling is having a kid now. And I have no idea. I mean, I'd guess they'd be trying now he's retired. I mean, I would have been if I had anything near the financial stability that he has. But because I don't, I have to either find a partner who does, or accept that we won't, or wait until I do. And truthfully, the only way that'll happen, outside of winning the lottery, which is pretty high odds given that I don't play it, is if I can get my TV series made. Nearly three years after launching it on Kickstarter, it doesn't look any more likely. I've tried again and again. Every person, angle, phone call, email, Facebook contact. It just feels like I'm ramming my head against a brick wall. I just want a chance. But doesn't everyone? you got to take it. Or rather make one. No one is going to give it to you. No progress on the parenting front. Rachel is staying in the US now to go to swing states to try to convince people to vote for Hillary. I mean, you've got to respect her passion for the democratic system. Or rather, her belief in espousing her ideals. I'm more of an anarchist, really. I mean, if people are willing to vote for Trump... I kind of want it to happen and everybody suffer the results, whatever they may be. And after this latest social media faux pas, you'd think there'd be no chance, but that's what people said about Brexit last year in the UK and look what happened there. Human beings are largely uninformed. I guess that's the problem with the one-vote-one-person concept of democracy and perhaps why the original American political system evolved the way it did. Well, other than to protect the rights of the rich white landowners from the masses who, otherwise, would vote for a fairer division of wealth and materials. And of course, we can't have that. Eh, what do I know? Still haven't met up with the girl in Ventura. Super mum has texted me a few times and I'm really looking forward to seeing her again Whenever that is I just feel a great sense of rapport and destiny with her My best friend thinks I'm gay Because I didn't have sex with Rachel when she essentially offered me the chance Kind of a simplistic explanation I'd say I don't really want to have sex with anyone right now Maybe that's okay Ah the irony Start a podcast about having sex with more than one person, end up not wanting to have sex with anyone. There is a girl at work that I like, but i realise realised that when I like a girl, I revert to my goofy 14-year-old self when I'm around her. Totally not the alpha that I need to be. Actually, one of my New Year's resolutions this year was to be Alpha McGuinness. But alas, at least around girls I really like, I am painfully beta. Haven't even looked at any dating apps for over a month now. Just no time. I have been reading The Way of the Superior Man still though, and it talks about withholding your ejaculation, which kind of easy for me now. So maybe this whole celibacy thing is a good thing. Maybe I'm just in a period of transition, doing a lot of work on myself until I come out as a beautiful, sparkling sexual butterfly. That's a bit gay. this week's guest is known by his somewhat pseudonym rye he has been in the bdsm kink and polyamory community for many years now and is a wealth of information and i think a pretty cool guy if you do have any interest in the subject and want to learn more you can read all about it and him at polyamoryconsultant.com if you have any questions and need counselling about possibly opening up your relationship, this is the guy to go to. Well, it is my honour to welcome onto the podcast this day um, someone I met about, God, it would be about six months or a year ago, known within the poly SPLA community as Rye. Thanks very much, mate, for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. We are sitting here in your wonderful apartment. How are you? All
2: right? I'm good. Thanks for having me.
0: All right. Nice to have you here. So I met you, as I said, first at one of your Q&As at the Stock Room, which if you haven't been in Los Angeles, the Stock Room is... Describe the Stock Room.
2: Stock Room is LA's premier sex toy shop with a focus on BDSM and fetish toys. And they actually manufacture their own latex clothing there, too.
0: Oh, interesting. Yeah, so I went there as part of SPLA, and you were doing a talk uh, about poly relationships. Uh, and it's a regular thing you do as well, right? You do it monthly?
2: Almost. I've been hosting these discussion groups for about four or five years. Right. And they've changed locations over the years. I just did one in Brooklyn, New York about two weeks ago, and one in San Diego in July.
0: Ah, nice. So you are somewhat of a um, an expert,
2: On the subject. Some people say that. I don't have any formal credentials.
0: You got a lot of experience. And on that day, you actually had three of your girlfriends on the stage talking about your relationships and and how you met and how you sort of worked them out and all stuff like that, right?
2: Yeah. And we cover this wide range of topics. It's non-monogamy in general, so not limited to just polyamory. There's so many other things like um, swingers or... The monogamish, where maybe you're primarily a monogamous couple, but the occasional threesome? Right.
0: That's the thing. I think when I talk to people and, and I talk about polyamory or whatever else, most people have such a limited notion of, of what it is. And, and they all pretty much go, it's swinging. That's pretty much what they think it is for the most part. But So swinging is ideally where you've got one primary partner and a number of other secondary partners that aren't really emotional partners, right?
2: Generally, it's easier to think of swinging as a verb than as a noun. And so you may be a couple that swings, that goes to swing events.
0: Ah, okay, gotcha. That's an easier way to think of it. And then polyamory is the notion that you have a number of deep, meaningful, loving relationships that are going on at the same time.
2: Yeah, that's one of the definitions. There's a lot of definitions, and it's in flux right now. Right. Some people are calling almost everything polyamory. For example, being a member of a family and having multiple relatives is some type of multi-love dynamic. So there's there's a lot of strange ways that the word is being used lately.
0: Right, yeah. And then, of course like non-monogamy is different than polyamory according to some people but here's my issue you know and i'm obviously very very new to this like placing these labels i I find it somewhat divisive i I don't really know what it sort of achieves it's much easier to when it organically naturally comes up in a conversation just saying this is kind of how i feel this is how i view relationships and uh, doesn't that make make more make, make more sense
2: I'm a big fan of the labels, but a lot of people I know are not. Every single word that exists is a label. And so it's difficult to have a conversation if we don't have any words that exist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think as human beings, as we grow up, we start putting labels on things, don't we? That's a natural need or desire to compartmentalize the world into understandable packets. This person is this, and this person is that. Um, and in some ways it's good, in other ways it's not. But, um, I mean, let's let's talk about how you got involved in this. I mean, where do you, you live in Los Angeles most of the time, and where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Florida, and ah. I spent a lot of time in Michigan and in Buffalo, where my parents grew up.
0: Okay, gotcha. And then you had a relatively normal upbringing, because for me, I had a very normal upbringing. I had a mom and a dad and a sister, and so... To get to this stage now where I'm sort of considering all these non-traditional relationships, I don't really know where the impetus comes from other than, you know, failed relationships in the past and looking at the world in general. Whereas I met a lot of other people in the lifestyle that seem to have, I guess you'd call it not an Achilles heel, but they have a pivotal moment in their life or an experience that pushed them in that direction. Did you have one of those or not?
2: Yeah, I had a pretty normal Childhood, I was the youngest of four siblings, two parents, that kind of thing. And when I moved from Florida to California, that was a big shock. And my high school sweetheart and I, we knew that I was moving before we entered our relationship in my senior year of high school. Right. And being away from her, we were a bit in denial that we were still very intensely in love with each other. And then I started dating in LA, and I guess that was my first open relationship, for lack of a better term. We didn't really like using any labels at the time. We saw each other as broken up, but still caring about each other. Right. And then at some point, I was in love with a new person here in LA while still loving the person in Florida. And so that moment was the absolute realization that I was capable of and in love with two people at the same time.
1: Right.
0: But the example from your parents, though, did that help you to understand that? Did that push you away from that? I mean, were they very much in love in a traditional sense?
1: or
2: My parents are pretty traditional. Yeah, They're definitely not alternative and pretty conservative views overall. They're union democrats, so they're the kind of democrats that are not exactly liberals per se. And certainly less liberal when I was growing up. Quite religious. I ended up being a very devout Catholic schoolboy. I didn't go to Catholic school uh, as a high school, but I did go to Sunday Bible study. And my father was really pushing me to go to Catholic school at one point. And when I graduated, it was a hard choice between the university and the seminary because I was seriously considering the priesthood. And I'm still preaching. It's just out of very different books nowadays. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I get it. Um, so how old were you at that point?
2: I was 18, 19. 18,
0: 19. So you've essentially been non-monogamous all of your life. There was never a big sort of transition for you then.
2: That transition uh, was right when I became an adult is when I, when I first realized it. But it wasn't something that I embraced. It was something that I saw as a flaw as a problem uh, you know that's what my religion and my society and my family had taught and yeah. certainly the two women that I were in love with were not happy with the situation my new girlfriend here in LA was very upset that there was this this girl from high school that I was still in love with right. that was a huge problem so it certainly wasn't something that I uh, was comfortable with at the time i was in monogamous relationships for a few years after uh-huh, that okay And then when that ended, when that period of monogamy ended, I just was determined to be single forever. At least two years. I promised myself two years of being single.
1: Yeah.
2: And pretty quickly, I was getting heavily involved with multiple women as a single man, and my heart was a flutter, and I was like, oh, no, I can't have feelings yet. This is too soon. I promised myself to be single. And pretty soon, I found myself in the... Role of boyfriend with multiple people without that label. And I was clinging to the label of single. And right. Whenever there was any kind of major dispute or question or fight about it, I would just say, hey, I'm single. You're single. That's the way it's been. Nothing's changed. And it took a few, four or five years before I really embraced saying, we're in an open, polyamorous relationship. And using that label changed my life.
1: Right, okay. I,
2: I, I value the labels, and and, and and I think people feel comfortable knowing what the hell's going on.
0: Yeah, I guess for me, whenever I've used that label, and I've never used it for myself because I'm still in that position of trying to figure out exactly where I fit on the scale, but it always seems divisive, and I I, I talk to girls and sort of even just say, hey... Uh, right now I'm not really looking for a serious committed relationship or or I'm just in a place where I let relationships develop organically as they may do. And that's enough for them to put their hand up and go, eh, not really what I'm looking for. And then what happens is in the six months or a year after we've had that conversation, they end up sleeping with like two or three other guys in an attempt to be in monogamous relationships, but some of it crossing over and I don't, you know, like I'm largely celibate for the most of the time because most of the girls that I talk that way to are kind of scared off. And the truth is though, when we talked at that party the other day, you said that you found it was uh, an asset to talk about seeing other people. Even if you're not necessarily seeing other people, you found that it, it uh, explain what you meant by, you were talking about how it, it gives a sense of you, you're owning who you are.
2: People value honesty. They value integrity and honesty. And I think that a lot of the non-toxic, good aspects of masculinity are based in integrity and leadership and responsibility. And hiding who you are is the opposite of all that. And right. so I, th- I think women are very annoyed and sick of being lied to, and they're sick of being cheated on, and they're sick of men just holding back essential details that's important to their heart and their health
0: and and you know i've seen that with my friends very recently i can think of a number of situations of girls i'm just platonic friends with that have had their hearts broken for that exact same reason but then they're platonic friends with me because i didn't withhold my feelings i told them how i felt and they were like oh not for me let's just be friends no problems and then these guys who were all to the sense of purposes being somewhat duplicitous get in their pants, and then end up breaking their heart. So what am I not doing that you're doing?
2: Well, I've been doing this for a long time. Right. That helps. Just experience alone and how you present the information matters a lot. But also, having a singular goal and a singular approach doesn't always work. Right. What it seems that you're saying is that you have multiple goals here. One of them is to get laid on a regular basis. Another one is to have meaningful long-term relationships. You don't need to approach everyone with one size fits all to achieve those different goals. Like, for example, if you just want a one-night stand, you don't need to talk about your long-term goals at all. You don't need to be concerned with what will work out in the end. You can just focus on sex that particular night.
0: Yeah, you know, I don't think I'm that sort of a guy. I don't think it's in my... uh, Maybe I'm just... Still clinging on to a lot of these sort of beliefs that I got from my childhood, I don't know, but when I think about like having sex with someone I've just met, there's a sense of I don't really know them well enough. I mean how to have that conversation about sexual health. And for me, being sexually intimate with somebody is about being emotionally intimate and, and trusting that they're going to be honest about who they've slept with, any kind of diseases, et etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And for me, I'm not sure if I can get to that place in one night.
2: I relate to that. I don't have a lot of one-night stands myself. I never really did. I mean, I've had a few, but it's definitely not my modus operandi. Right. I think the most likely scenario for me to have a one-night stand today would be when I'm traveling. Yeah. If I'm in Vegas or New York or somewhere out of town and there's just a lack of time that we could spend together, then that would be more likely. Right,
0: right, absolutely. But so we mentioned there, you know, talking about sexual health and stuff, I listened to you on a podcast recently talking about fluid bonding, and whenever I mentioned that to any of my friends who aren't in the community at all, they're like, what on earth is fluid bonded? So give us a very brief introduction to what fluid bonding is and why it's important, certainly within polyamory.
2: When most people say fluid bonding, they're referring to using condoms or not using condoms. Right. That's typically what they mean. But it's much more diverse than that and complicated than that. For example, are you using condoms during oral sex? Are you using dental dams for cunnilingus or analingus? Are you using a glove when fingering or fisting? A lot of these things are downplayed, and the the most ignored one is kissing kissing right. is inherently fluid bonding there's no such thing as a tongue condom or nobody uses a barrier to French kiss All it doesn't, right. doesn't work like that and a lot of, you know, I don't want to do fear mongering here but some blood borne diseases can get into the cuticles of your fingertips or they can get into a little cut in your mouth Right. so if it's 100% about STI prevention well, doing nothing and being celibate is the best way <laughs> but that's not realistic.
0: Right, exactly. So what what is realistic and what's crazy? What's what's worrying too much about making out with somebody you know and what's going bareback with a drunk stripper you met in Tijuana.
2: Right? Yeah, you have to decide for yourself what's an acceptable limit of risk. Right. You know, some people jump out of airplanes without a parachute and survive. Right. It happens. I think the riskiest thing I ever did was participate in a gangbang. And this was six, seven years ago on New Year's in Vegas all right. at a sex club. No one knew each other's names. Three guys had gone up before me, and I said, who's next? And the whole room turned to me and said, you are. So I put on a condom. I didn't touch her at all, at all. She's in doggy position, going down on another girl. First, her husband yells at me, use a condom. And I said, I am. It's on. <laughs> and... You know, I made sure that I didn't get anything on me except for on the condom, yeah. and there were zero consequences for that act because right. condoms work extremely well. Yeah. Uh having said that, I also have oral herpes, HSV-1, which I didn't get from that experience because my lips were not exposed to it. I got it probably from a girlfriend or friend or somebody that I kissed. Yeah. And so that's what I mean by kissing is fluid bonding. You're literally exchanging fluids. Right. Saliva. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: HSV-1, it's interesting. Again, you know, you're a fascinating fella. You really are. Yeah. T- every time I've met you, you said something that really piqued my interest, you know. It's <laughs> definitely a feather in your cap. But you said how, in terms of having that discussion about sexual health, you one of the first things you always say is that you're HSV-1 positive.
1: hmm
0: And for me, I've made out with girls who've had cold sores on their lips, and so I just knew they had HSV-1. And it didn't seem like something that that needed to be discussed, but why do you feel like it does?
2: There's great controversy on whether it needs to be discussed or not. Yeah, Um, I would be a liar if I said that every single time that I've kissed someone, that I revealed it in advance. My breakouts are extremely minor. I take supplements, uh, lysine and folic acid, to Uh reduce the outbreaks and the shedding. Right. Maybe twice a year, I'll have a little blister. Yeah. And the rest of the time, my contagious level is extremely low. You know, I've I've been with multiple girlfriends for years that didn't contract it. At least one of them has. And then the question is, did they get it from me? Because something like one-fifth of Los Angeles has symptoms. Yep. And... The percentages vary. It could be as high as 90% of everyone would test positive for a blood test. Exactly. I know a lot of people that are asymptomatic that are positive in the blood, and they don't know how to behave or how to talk about it.
1: Right. They both
2: have it and don't have it, um, and they're not particularly contagious. Yeah. But I like to talk about it because it builds rapport. And if I'm honest about this, I'm going to be honest about everything else. Yeah. And it establishes an integrity. Right. And I like that level of trust.
0: Yeah, it's good. And I talked to some friends uh, a couple of weeks ago about it, you know. And when I said that, they were like, that's great. If you waited until you got to a certain stage of intimacy, until like, you'd made out and you were starting to move things forward, they'd be kind of pissed that you waited that long. And I sort of like said to them, well, at what point should you bring it up then? Is it like, hi, my name is, and by the way, I've got, you know, it's it's, it's an interesting topic.
2: That's exactly how Reed Mahalko handles it. He's a nationwide, very recognized yeah. educator. He has his elevator speech. Which I'm going to paraphrase, but basically it's that, which is Hi, my name is Reed. I find you sexually attractive. I have HSV 1 on my lips. I'm bisexual. I have all these other things. And he just lists off all the quote unquote deal breakers. Right. Where a lot of people would get rejected for these things. Um, But that's kind of his goal. Yeah. uh, You know, he wants to scare off the 99 to keep the one out of that 100. Right. And I think there's varying amounts of. Ways to handle that. Like, I, I don't say hello, my name is HSV1. <laughs> like, it's not my name tag.
0: Yeah, I'm got it a t shirt. Yeah. Someone gave me a book recently. I was at a coffee shop, my favorite coffee shop in Toluca Lake, and they've got a book there from the 80s about sexual health and I had a read of it. And uh, it talks about HIV, and this explains how long ago it was written. HIV is in the homosexual category of right. the book. And so when I was reading about herpes in there, it was only talking about, you know, genital herpes. And it was saying how it's really nothing to worry about. The biggest concern is the social stigma as opposed to any kind of, of health issues associated with it. And that if you don't have an outbreak, you can't pass it on, et cetera, et cetera. But I thought, you know, like I said, it, it's an old book. It was written in the 80s. I should probably do some research. So I went on Google and I looked it up for about a week. And because I'm kind of scientific-minded, I've figured out the probability of getting genital herpes from any random person while using protection, knowing nothing else about them, it's 0.2%.
2: It's really low. Right. And a lot of people are scared of HIV, and the chances are extremely lower than that. Really? I mean, condoms work. They work really, really well. Yeah. And modern condoms are specifically designed to prevent HIV because it's the smallest particle and it will pass through other materials. Like if you use lambskin condoms, Uh it'll stop herpes, but it won't stop HIV because it's too small. It'll, It'll pass right through like a sieve. Wow. But even when unprotected, there are statistics online from the federal government detailed. And what it comes down to is that There are differences between male and female on the likelihood of contracting, and there are differences based on the type of sex that you're having, and then there's differences based on whether you have a tear or not. The the tear concept um, is often left out of these stats. Uh, Vaginal tearing is rare. It's really rare to damage a vagina with a penis that causes blood Uh like that. Really, really rare. Damaging uh, in the anal canal is extremely likely right and in the mouth unless you bite yourself there's not a lot of blood exposure unless you've recently brushed your teeth so one of the most dangerous things you can do when it comes to exposing yourself to STIs and blood is brush your teeth micro tears all in your gums yeah and direct contact from the kissing from the oral sex Maybe you're a swallower. I mean, if you're going down on a woman, you're getting exposed to her fluid directly into your blood. Right. So don't brush your teeth. At least, uh, at least wait an hour before having oral. S- uh, before having sex.
0: Good to know. Good to know. I will bear that in mind. You told me there's there's a pill you can take actually that stops you getting HIV. Right. What's that?
2: Yeah, it's called PrEP. Right. P R E P. It's an acronym that escapes me at the moment. Right. Um, but it's been researched. Something like three to five years now, and as far as I know, only one person on PrEP has contracted HIV. And the study, and its primary prescription, has been from serodiscordant couples. So, it's known status. One person in the couple has HIV positive, absolutely, in their blood. The other one does not. And then you're giving the one who does not have HIV this pill, which you can kind of think of it like taking the pill for birth control. You take the pill every day, and it prevents a problem you don't want. And uh, if you take it every day, it's very effective. And if you get exposed, like let's say you discover that what happened last night, uh, you were exposed to HIV or you're nervous about the situation, you can go to Planned Parenthood and other places where your doctor might prescribe, and they'll give you... A handful of these pills, four, five, ten of these pills, and you can take a load of them all at once, and it can actually prevent the virus from taking hold in your blood.
0: Wow, that's fascinating. Well, that's great news for anybody that's ever been in that situation.
2: It's very affordable, too. Wow. Very affordable. Right.
0: Um, Speaking of, of sexual health and, and testing, you, you said um, the best place to get tested in Los Angeles is where? The, the
2: LGBT Center. There's two of them, one in Hollywood and one in West Hollywood. And the one in Hollywood even has free parking.
0: Fantastic. And, and so you can just show up. Do you need an appointment? or
2: You can set an appointment, but it's pretty accessible. You can usually walk in and the wait will be 20 minutes to an hour
0: nice okay good because i i, I want to get tested not any real reason unfortunately to, to get tested you know but uh i'd like to every six months just have it there and it's also like you said i think it's a good conversation start going hey i just went and got all tested and as opposed to going hey have you been tested recently which makes it sound as though you're worried that they've got something as opposed to it naturally coming up in the conversation right
2: yeah, we got to be adults about this stuff. You know, everybody has car insurance, right? That's the same mentality. I I don't plan on getting into a wreck this night or last night or next week, but I have car insurance. And so I I right. see testing like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, when
0: it comes to like sexual health and diseases and stuff like that, because, you know, I've talked to people who've been positive for genital herpes. I haven't really mm-hmm. met anybody that's been openly positive HIV positive. But they've always said that it's a very difficult conversation to have because nine times out of ten, they get rejected out of hat. Are there any things which are a deal-breaker for you? Like if you met someone, got them well, and found out they were HIV positive, would that be a deal-breaker?
2: At the moment, yes. I'm uncertain what I would do. I'm considering going on PrEP just across the board. I'm not currently in any kind of high-risk situation, and I'm currently using condos with all my partners, which is rare. I have two very established girlfriends, one I've been with for two and a half years and one for a year and a half, and recently went through a breakup with a girlfriend of four years. Mm. And during all that, we used condoms the whole time. I think there was a couple of condom breaks and maybe two unusual moments where I didn't use a condom in the last five years.
0: Right. Um, And when that happened, did you tell all your other partners that that had happened? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's part of having integrity and just dealing with the realities of it. There was one kind of tragic timing. I was about to leave for a month-long trip to Thailand this past February, and two nights before I left, a condom broke. And so the next two nights, I had to tell the other two girlfriends, hey, which was real, real fun, that last (laughs) night before we're just trying to enjoy each other's company before I'm gone for a month. Well, you know, that's that's part of everybody trusting each other. Yeah. And there was really no reason for concern. It's just about staying in a place of honesty and trustworthiness.
0: Right. And it's got to help you in other, you know, platonic relationships, I would think, because polyamory ultimately is about communicating, right? And, and being honest with your desires and, and and who you are as a person.
2: Yeah. I think that it's also stressful, you know, just maintaining... The, oh, what can I say to this person? What can I say? It's a lot of wasted brain energy.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've always
0: felt that same way. It's better to be honest. And sometimes that's what I've found it kind of difficult within long term monogamous relationships because it's not like I'm holding anything back in the sense of I've never cheated on anybody. I never have really any desire to cheat on anybody. But the notion that I'm sexually attracted to someone else that's always a difficult conversation to have. And maybe it's not even a conversation you need to have necessarily. But what I love about the platonic friendships that I have with girls is I can act the exact same way in front of them as I can in front of my buddies, as I can in front of anybody. And what I would love is to be in a sexual relationship with somebody in that exact same way without having to hold anything back. Not being disrespectful, not being out with them in a date and going, Hey, look at the tits on that and you know, you know I get it, I understand that, and I wouldn't want to be in that situation myself, but I do think it's certainly within society hard to talk openly and honestly with someone you're in a sexual situation with, oftentimes,
1: right?
2: I think that if you go in hiding a lot of information, you have to hide it forever. Yeah. If you go in being very open, being very on display, you can maintain that openness a lot easier. I've had friends with benefits where our main interaction, and and one of them was for two and a half years. We would meet up with each other. We would discuss our dating life and give each other advice and just talk about the woes and the struggles of it. And then we'd have awesome sex. And then we'd go home. All right. And that was a regular basis. So... You know that idea of having a sexual relationship and a platonic friendship are not mutually exclusive.
1: Right.
2: And then adding that layer of romance and intense in-love feelings, the most successful relationships I've had is when I could just be myself. Yeah. But it's difficult to find that, to find that level of bonding. Right. Even with my my male platonic friends, there's a lot that I don't say in front of them because I know they won't give a shit. They just don't care. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to deal with it. The response won't be what I want to hear. Yeah. And that's not because they're flawed. It's because they don't want to be that intimate with me. They don't feel comfortable doing that. Maybe with no one. And and that's fine. You know, that's one of the beauties of having many friends. Yep. And, and one of the beauties of having many relationships.
1: Right.
0: Right. For sure. Did you find that you date most people within the... Poly non monogamous community, or do you, does is pretty much anybody a possibility to date?
2: I started educating by dating, and most of my experience is with people that have zero experience the newbies, the people that have no polyamory or BDSM awareness, maybe curiosity of it, but the vast majority. Nova, one of my current girlfriends, she was the first and only girl I've dated that had significant polyamory experience before me. Yeah. And other than that, I've been leading the way, which is problematic in the sense that these girls are entering a relationship they don't fully understand. Yeah. And I'm I'm not saying that that's unique to women by any degree. I didn't fully understand it uh, when I began, and I subscribed to the idea of the second adolescence And this is something that's pulled from LGBT queer culture and the idea that when you enter an alternative relationship paradigm, you're 13 again. You could be 45, but your brain chemistry is now 13 again, and there's the confusion and the hormones, the obsession, the depression, the moodiness, the depth of context. You have to start all over. And you might have multiple second adolescences. You know, if you're entering polyamory, you might have one. If you're entering BDSM four years later, you might have it again. And with it comes all this excitement, but also all this struggle.
0: Right. So it's always a work in progress for the most part. And why do you think that is? I mean, for me, I joined SPLA about two years ago, and I've been to various other sort of poly events. And... I've met nothing but wonderful people, you know, and they're intelligent and they're kind and they're wonderful. But I just haven't sort of felt that sexual connection a lot of times. There's been a couple, two or three, but oftentimes, I know you talked about this as well, it's kind of, even though I know they're poly, even though I know they're non-monogamous, I also know they're with somebody else. And there's a part of me that goes, okay, they're with somebody else. And so to approach them in any way... To express an interest in them
2: sexually, it's really hard to do, you know? One of the ways to do it is to practice. You're never going to get better at this if you don't do it on a regular basis. Right, right. One of the ways that I practiced when I was you know, in that single era is I would just go to two or three bars in a single night and I would try to get girls' phone numbers. And it didn't matter if I was that interested in them or not. All it was was, could I start a conversation? Yeah. Could I get a phone number? You know, I was approaching women that I was attracted to, but the idea was to play the numbers and to get comfortable with this. And, you know, I tried all kinds of silly stuff to approach. And the thing is, if you're talking to someone, there's a good chance that they think that you're sexually interested. You're a man approaching an attractive woman. They're probably going to assume that you're sexually interested. Right. So you might have actually done this and not realized it. Yeah. Just by speaking to them, you're approaching them.
0: Yeah, and and I'm okay with that. And part of it comes, I think, from growing up in England, very sort of middle class, with the notion that sex was – not that it was bad, but it was something that, you know, you did with a girlfriend that you loved. And I don't know. You, you get this notion that you're like a creepy dude if you're like hitting on a guy. And it's silly Because sex between someone that you love and care about deeply is a wonderful positive thing and it should be something you want to share with people, not something that you sneak it in, you know what I mean? But I don't know. It's just when I see a girl with a boyfriend at one of these parties, I'm like, how do you – what do you say?
2: I I relate to that. Yeah, there is hesitancy and – when i was interested like i said nova is the only one that i've dated that had experience she had a live-in boyfriend of 4 years and i had met him on occasions and i relate to the stalled action like when i saw them together i didn't approach her right um eventually i became facebook friends with her after we were in some events together but there was a point where i needed to ask her and say so what is the situation? Do I need to speak to your boyfriend first? Do I need to ask permission? Is there any kind of preliminary steps? And people disagree on the proper way, but the way I the way I do it is if I'm interested in you, I'm going to ask you how to show interest in a respectful way because you're going to tell me. And if you're not going to tell me, I'm really in the dark. Yeah. And so, you know, I'll ask the person, are you involved with anyone? Do you have a boyfriend that I should show respect to? Or in the BDSM scene, is there a dominant in your life that I should show some respect to for that relationship? And they give me the insight. They teach me how to do it. Wow. So the questions can often be the best way to approach these things.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? And it's different than normal, traditional monogamous dating because you... If someone has a boyfriend, then there's no
2: discussion after that fact, right? Mostly. But but here's a good example. Um, if you're in a bar and you see two attractive women sitting at the bar and you approach one, that friend of hers is going to be the gatekeeper. She's the one most likely to drag away her friend. Like, come on, let's yeah, get out of here. The obstacle. And even if there's a connection between you and the girl, she might get in the way and the, the classic cock blocking. So in that sense... You may need to ask somebody, hey, is there a way I can respectfully talk to your friend here? sometimes that happens.
0: Right. There can
2: be other gatekeepers like that.
0: Yeah, interesting. So you, when you talked about, you know, going out to a couple of bars a night and trying to get girls' phone number, you were essentially doing the same thing as a lot of the early pickup guys like Mystery and and Neil Strauss. Are you familiar with pickup game theory? Yeah,
2: I'm familiar. I I looked into it a bit 10 years ago and um, most of it is horse shit. Most of it's really disrespectful bullshit. Yeah? Yeah, I... um, I mean, everybody was talking about it in 2006, 2007, when the game was on the shelves, and and they were advertising the fuck out of it in L.A. There was, like, poker cards that you'd find, just a singular poker card of, like, an ace or a joker, Uh and it'd just be sitting in bars across the city, all these little poker cards, talking about the little black book that was the game. Wow. Um, But the trouble with that stuff is that it's primarily deceptive yeah it's primarily what it's doing is being deceptive as opposed to extremely honest the one thing that i learned from that community that i really took to heart was to be the man that women want yeah and so if you have a certain type of woman that you want you may need to actually become the type of man that she would want right like for example if you're going to concerts and you're seeing a certain type of woman that's a groupie for a guitarist, well, you might want to learn how to play guitar. <laughs> right? that's, that's an old, old example of just being the man that women want. Yeah. But it could be in other ways. Like It could be that women want an honest man, so you need to be an honest man. Women want a man with tattoos. Maybe you should get some tattoos.
0: Yeah. I mean, the argument is, though, that whoever you naturally are, without having to learn guitar, get tattoos or whatever it is, that there should be a girl or some girls out there that kind of want You, as you are. I mean, that's the traditional idea. There's someone for everyone, right? You think that's the case or you think... Because when you look at the world, really, it's a very small portion of guys who are getting the majority of the girls.
2: It's true. And I think there's a small portion of the girls that are wanted by the guys. Yeah. And... Speaking from my personal experience, when I moved to L.A., I had no social skills, no friends, no family. I was an 18-year-old straight white guy. Nobody wants us around. (laughs) We're the least desirable people there are. We're too old to date high schoolers and too young to date college students. And adult women that are 25, 30, 35 don't want anything to do with us. Who the hell wants a straight white 18-year-old? Right. Well, and I kind of embraced my outsider status and... Grew my hair out down to my elbow and didn't know how to wash it properly, so it was always greasy and I dressed like shit and, you know, I'd wear combat boots and shorts and a band t-shirt and just, you know, grew out my facial hair so I was like the wolf man with a hairy neck and just did a lot of things to purposely be unattractive and not give a fuck. Hmm. And part of that was because I was a total metalhead. I've been screaming in metal bands for 20 years, since I was 12. So... You know, I really embraced, like, I'm going to be me. I'm going to be myself. I'm going to be this guy. And then I was frustrated that uh, I would approach the women that I was attracted to and get rejected, and get rejected left and right, and try to date online. And I spent a lot of time, this would have been in 2002 through 2007 or so, Hmm. a lot of time trying to date on Craigslist. I actually did have some very successful, meaningful relationships off of Craigslist. So I'm not knocking it. I'm just saying that was about my only option. Wow. Is that still an option now? Uh, Some people do. I mean, Craigslist is not the best way. It's a real (laughs) old way. Right. Um, I know women who put up bizarre ads Uh and someone will answer it. Usually a hundred emails will come pouring in. But nowadays, it's more about Tinder and plenty of fish and Cupid and all that. Yeah,
0: I've had such little luck online dating. And the truth is, I don't put enough time and effort into it, really. I think that's probably, it's like anything in life. Where you focus is where you have most success. And just with everything else in my life, there's not really necessarily the time. But I I don't know. It seems, I remember when I first came to LA and I had a girlfriend, everyone telling me, LA is the toughest city in the world to date.
2: You think that's the case? It could be. I haven't really dated anywhere else on the planet. Right. You know, I was in Florida as a teenager. Yeah. And then I've lived here my whole adult life. Right. But I I feel there's some truth to it. I've heard a lot of complaints about it from people who move here. And there's a ton of articles about the hardest cities in America to date in. Right. So it may be true. Yeah, yeah.
0: Would you say you're happy in your life, in your experience now in terms of dating? I mean, you said, how many? you got three girlfriends right now, currently?
2: Currently two girlfriends and some more casual partners. Right.
0: You feel happy, you feel fulfilled, satiated, Or because I think that's the notion and I think a very uh, untrue one about people who are polyamorous is that it's never enough. They always want more people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Or is there a place where you're at peace with the number of people you're sleeping with?
2: That's a very tricky question. Uh The the answer is all the above. When I think about my relationships with my girlfriends, I'm very happy with those relationships. And they continue to grow, and they're on the right track. And when I think about all the women in the city that I'm attracted to, I'm hungry. And I'm eternally hungry. And, you know, I ate breakfast this morning, but I'm definitely going to have lunch and I'm gonna have dinner too, and maybe dessert, and I'll be ready for tomorrow's breakfast. <laughs> right. And, and then, as I express this, we're talking about like it's not like partners are to be consumed; they're not used up and thrown away. Right. You know, it's 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 a strange question that's that's tricky to answer. I mean, I'm never fully full, but there's times where I feel what's called polysaturated. Yeah. Where I realize, huh, I've got you know, three girlfriends and maybe a half girlfriend where we see each other like once a month. And then I have a handful of casual lovers and wow, I'm involved with seven people right now on a regular basis. This has happened more than once in in the last decade. Yeah. And then I see somebody new that's attractive that I just met, or maybe a friendship starts to get flirtatious and I go, holy shit, I don't have time for all this. I don't have space for all this. I'm overwhelmed. And I actually get stressed out that I'm maxed out. Right. And so, having too many partners can actually be very stressful. Yeah. You know, one, because you don't want to add anybody new. Two, because adding new people may upset your other partners. Right. They might say, you know what? I could deal with five or six, but now you're at seven and I'm having a problem here. This is hard for me to cope with. So, it's a different paradigm with different stressors.
0: Yeah. For me, when I look back on my life and I think about, all the long-term monogamous relationships that I've been in, largely none of these people are in my life anymore. And they had their heart broken, I had my heart broken, and I still love them dearly. And they probably would say they love me too, but we can't be in each other's lives. And when I look back on my life, at the non-exclusive relationships that I've been in, largely they're all in my life. And they may be in different parts of the world, we may not talk all the time, but we still care deeply and communicate often. And I just suddenly had this epiphany, well, Christ, maybe this is what I should be doing. Maybe i it, it's this notion of monogamy which is causing people to have to exit from my life. But it's not necessarily a guarantee either, right? I mean, you've been in polyamorous relationships that you're no longer in, and these people are no longer in your life, right?
2: Yeah, there's some. Most of them I'm still friends with on some level. Okay. There's... One in particular that will never speak again, the others it's some degree, and some of those are extremely close. I'm still very close with my high school sweetheart who is now married and has a child in Texas, yeah, and you know I was her maid of honor in her wedding, <laughs> so it depends I mean that was that was a monogamous relationship until it opened later, so it's a little a mix of the two, yeah, but I get your point and Some people find it very strange to even have your ex's phone number still in your phone. Right. Because it's competition. There can be only one.
1: Yeah. That's
2: the nature of monogamy.
0: So you do think that non-monogamy, that polyamory is certainly an asset if you want to maintain relationships with people that you care about for the rest of your life?
2: Yeah. I mean, I see monogamous people break up and get back together all the time. Right. I've heard stories and seen relationships where years pass, 17 years can pass. You get a divorce and then you remarry the same person. Yeah. There's been people who, who remarry all the time. And with non-monogamy and open relationships and all that, there's a term called transition where you're not necessarily breaking up. You're changing some parameter of the relationship. For example, maybe the only change is that you're no longer having sex. Maybe everything else is the same. You, you still have the, the urge to cuddle, the urge to care about each other, and yeah. have meaningful conversations. Maybe you're just separated by 8,000 miles and you're on the other side of the earth, and so you can't physically have sex. Sex is not the only aspect of a relationship. All right. What is the difference between a best friend and a romantic partner? It can get very hard to tell the difference besides the making out and the sex. Yeah, that's what I've
0: always said When I say that to people, they're like No, no, it's a different type of love But for me, love is
2: love is love,
0: you know it's just some people you love, you're sexually attracted to And some people you're not
2: I think there are different types of love I think that the catch-all English word, love Used to be many different words Like, I think the Greeks have six different types Filial, eros, fraternal
0: Right you know but then so maybe it's just a question of semantics. You know, what I call love may be different than what you call love. And, and maybe we just haven't found a way of expressing this with a certain labels sufficiently to, to explain this. I mean, let's be honest, you know, the human emotions, complex things to, to sum up.
2: Yeah. Any word to describe an emotion is a label. You know, right. what is happiness? What is anger? What is love? What is jealousy? You know, th- that hasn't come up in this conversation yet. Most people kind of harp on how can you handle these kind of multi-person relationships without crippling jealousy
0: yeah that's what everybody mentions to me the first thing oh, I just they all say oh I get it I can certainly understand that but I could never do it myself because I'm way too jealous
2: maybe that's true yeah you know some people are way too anger Uh, you know they go to anger management classes to manage their anger
0: but is it not uh, is it not the same thing in every other aspect of life we look at jealousy as this negative thing this green-eyed monster we should avoid and we should we should evolve to get beyond it but when it comes to jealousy in terms of love and sex Well, that's expected. And if you don't feel jealous of your partner, then you don't really love them. That's the notion.
2: Oh, I've gotten that accusation. I had to end a relationship of two and a half years because of that notion. She kept insisting that since I didn't feel jealous, since I didn't have a problem with her having sex with other men, that I don't really care about her. Right. And she would question me things like, well, what if I went and fucked that guy? And I say, well, I wouldn't care. And she goes, that's the problem. You don't care. And what I meant was I wouldn't be upset by that and I'd be happy for you. That's what I meant.
0: Yeah, as long as it was a positive experience and she was safe.
2: Yeah. And there's been times where my partners have had negative experiences and I was pissed. Right. Like, if you hurt one of my girlfriends, you're going to have a much bigger problem with me than if you pleasure them. Right. You know, you pleasure them. Yay, that's great. You hurt them, upset them, break their heart, scar them, fuck them up in some way. I'm going to be pissed. Yeah. That's still in us, you know, uh, that protectiveness. I'm much more protective than I am jealous. Although they look very similar. You know, the the quote unquote overprotective boyfriend.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? But so, obviously, one of the two tenets of me doing this podcast, aside from my notions about relationships and exclusivity, is being a parent. And the notion that you know, a traditional romantic relationship is arguably not the ideal situation to form a parenting relationship as well. We talked in the car on the way over here about how you're not too bothered about being a parent. Is this is this something you'd never want to do, or, or do you can you could you view a situation where you'd meet someone in a certain situation and you go, yeah, I could have a kid now?
2: It's one of my deal breakers. I tell women as soon as possible, first date definitely before we have sex. I'm never going to be a dad and you can't force me to be a dad and if I really want to hammer in the point I'll say, you know, if you get pregnant and you keep the child I will pay my child support but you'll never force me to be a father you'll never force me to be involved that's your child if you keep it Wow. and that's a real hard line in the sand that I draw and a lot of people don't like me for that because they say, how dare you treat that child they don't deserve that, that kind of thing and I said. You know what? I was clear about my intentions, and if she changes her mind, I mean, I don't get involved with pro-life women. That's one of the things, is Ah. that that I avoid pro-lifers. I avoid a lot of women. I don't date mothers. I don't date pro-lifers. You know, because if I date a mother, then eventually I might be a de facto stepfather, and I don't want to be a stepfather. That's fair enough. So it's, it's a very hard line for me, and I'm getting a vasectomy soon, and I hope to shoot it on video and put it on YouTube Yeah, (laughs) as a political statement.
0: Wow, that's fantastic. Good for you. Owning who you are, you know. Um, For me, I certainly, I mean, Christ, the last time I had unprotected sex was uh, with my ex-girlfriend, but like (laughs) for about... 10 seconds before we got scared and before that it was (laughs) when i was married which had to be a decade before that you know and could i envision a time where i'd be in a relationship with a girl and trust her enough to say okay let's not use condoms yes but only if she got pregnant she wouldn't want to have the kid that that would be a deal breaker for me you know i'd never risk getting a girl pregnant which obviously even with a condom there is some risk but i would never have unprotected sex with a girl knowing that if she did get pregnant she would have the kid and i want to have a kid as much as i possibly want anything else in my life do you ever think why you don't want a kid is it just because you love your life now and you feel like having a child would take
2: away from it or
0: because a lot of people just don't have that biological desire
2: i have a an aversion to it. It's undesirable in every way. You know, I look at the suffering that parents go through in the early years. Yeah. All the difficulties of it, all the sacrifice. Yeah. I'm far too selfish and I embrace selfishness. I'm, I'm a selfish person and a lot of people who don't want children are very hurt when they're told you're just being selfish, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, I say that's, Fucking right. Yes, I am. Right. I also don't want a horse or a tiger (laughs) or a monkey. Right. And all those animals require a lot of time and sacrifice and energy. But they're really cool. They're so much fun. It would be so fun to have a monkey for a day. (laughs) Right. Or to ride a horse. But I'd rather I'd rather not. It's just not of interest to me. Yeah. And that changed. You know, if you would have talked to me when I was. 20 through 23 I was hell bent on finding the perfect mother to marry you know so I don't want to give this impression that everything is set in stone and there's no such thing as fluidity Yeah, but I can't imagine that it would change I've been very solid in this opinion the one exception I've thought about maybe in a decade when I'm much wealthier than I am to the age of reason instead of like dealing with the child part of it right because
0: the argument would be that by the time they get to be 12 then they're already hardwired to be a certain way so maybe completely unreasonable
1: you know whereas
0: (laughs) if you can start at the beginning with a baby you can sort of develop that reasonable side of them I, i don't know you know i definitely want to be a parent and the idea of it is appealing to me but the idea of doing it in the wrong situation is petrifying to me I mean I've been oh, yeah. yeah in a couple of situations where I could have moved forward and I didn't and um, I've got to accept I may not be a father you know and that's probably more difficult ironically enough to accept than the idea that I may not have sex again
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, like, yeah sex is easy compared to raising children
0: I guess so. I mean, I, I guess so. It's uh, I've still got to figure it out. I'm going to keep going to a lot of these, you know, poly meetups. I think SBI is wonderful. And talk to more people who have sort of lived this lifestyle, really. Um, and just try and get out there and more, meet more people. I mean, is there any advice you would give me to try and, you know, jump in with both feet? I mean, let's talk about, you know, play parties and things like this. I mean,
2: is there value in them? Yeah, there's value in them. To Uh, me? Yeah. For one, everything is a social event unless you're home alone. And even then, there's social network and online dating. So these play parties could be a place to meet people, not only the people that are present, but they have friends and they know people. And what I've found is that when I was a hermit, for lack of a better word, Uh, When I came to L.A. and I really isolated myself, my life was shitty. Yeah. And the more I have been a social butterfly, the more people I've met, the more people I've connected with. And I I don't mean that I connect with every person I meet, but I mean that if I connect with one out of ten, really connect with one out of ten, and I meet ten people, I've only connected with one. But if I meet a thousand people, I've connected with a hundred. Yeah. Yeah. So beyond the joy of the one night at the play party and whatever fun you either have by participating or have by witnessing and the voyeurism of it all, you might meet people that know people that know people. And I think community is the key to everything. I'm a huge believer in creating community, in joining community, participation. You know, we don't have the inherent structures in our lives anymore. Like, if you look back 50 years ago, 100 years ago, let's just take my father, for example. His father and and mother were one of 10 and one of 12 siblings. Right. And then they all got married, so there were 42 aunts and uncles. And then they all had children, so he had, like, a 1,000 cousins. And that was a tribe. That was a community unto itself. Plus, they had the church. And all the community at the church, and then plus things like the Foreign Legion. And so there was all these built-in institutions for community. And that's what you're in the process of creating and finding now. Whether it be Sex Positive LA, or Kinky Salon, or the Burner Community, or BDSM, whatever it might be, you're building tribe. Yeah. Like-minded individuals.
0: Right. So so keep at it, get out there, and... Um... Meet more people. I think that's great advice. You know, I've enjoyed every everybody that I've met so far. It's always been a positive experience, absolutely. So, and I would certainly place you high on that list, my friend. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. So, I wish you the best uh, moving forward with everything. And I'm sure I'll see you again relatively soon. And um, thank you for your time, mate. I, I really mean that. Yeah, I really appreciate it. Um, it's good that you're you know, open and you're willing to share all this stuff. And you talk about being selfish, but I think a lot of this stuff that you do does come from a selfless place because I think you are at a place where a lot of people that are new to the community are and you want to help them get to a place where they feel happy and more fulfilled in life, right?
2: Absolutely. I have a lot more time to dedicate to community because I'm not dedicating it to my children that don't exist. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not an island. I love having people in my life. All right. Well, wonderful.
0: Thank you again, mate. And uh, I'll let you know when this goes up.
2: Thank you much. All right. Cheers.
0: Well, that was Roy. Again, check him out at polyamoryconsultant.com. He's a wealth of information and certainly worth reaching out to for talks, coaching, and seminars. Next week's guest is my friend, Diane Kawasaki. She is one of the kindest people I've ever known and perhaps, as is more often than not the case in that scenario, hasn't had the best of luck when it comes to dating. But she still remains positive and hopeful.
2: That's true, I was telling my friend Kathy, I was like, can I just meet somebody that doesn't want to with my pets? <laughs>
0: I'll see you next week. Well, that is it. One week closer to six feet under. Thanks for listening and being part of the journey. Drop me a line if you think you, or someone you know, would be a good match for me as a parenting partner here in Los Angeles. Before you go, though, you know the deal. Please rate, write a review, and subscribe on iTunes or Stitcher. Show some love. I'll be back next week, but if you want more, before, then you can read my weekly blog at nigelwrestling.com forward slash blog where you can also buy merchandise, book me, or just send me a nice message. Until then, wherever you are, and wherever you're with, I hope you find kindness and love. Be happy.